0: So uh, today's my birthday. Yes. Uh, so uh, Paul, one of our board members, he asked if he could come up here and give me a car. what? Car. Okay. <laughs> we did that joke first service, too. It was more spontaneous Yes, then, it was but, more spontaneous. Yeah. But
1: anyway, I was
0: taught when somebody says don't make a big deal about my birthday to disregard that. Unequivocally, so this is our effort to do that from the board on behalf of the church. <laughs> I, I, I tried to find the most appropriate card out of all the inappropriate ones out there, so I hope hope I hit the mark. there would be eighteen eight. to see this card. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, we kind of slipped with the singing uh, first service, so I'm going to try and lead a second service and. The church at Briargate version. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Thank you. That's a dumb song. You guys know that's a dumb song. Yes, today, today is my birthday. It's actually today. Um, so there's a, I, I've been, a lot of people have been asking me, so pastor, is this your 50th? This is not my fiftieth. I'm I am years away from fifty. So, um, so so I get up on my birthday. This is this something that happened to me today. So I get up on my birthday and I'm and I'm thinking, hey, today's my day. It's my birthday. Which in our family that means you get to choose where you get to eat today and that kind of thing. And so, I get up and I walk into the closet. Now to give you a little bit of background. I had, I, had, I had politely, kindly, a, a couple weeks ago, mentioned to my wife, out of love, that she's not matching my socks anymore. I, I looked down the other day, I was wearing one Nike sock and one Puma sock. And so I walked into my closet this morning, and, and uh, there's just a big pile of socks in there. And I pull a sock out, and I said, Linda, what, what's with this? She said, you can match them now. That is not the, that's not the response I was looking for. I was looking for, oh, pastor, I'll beat her up. That's what, that's what I was looking for. So, so I did want to show you some pictures. We got some pictures this morning of our um, church in India. Uh, our pastor, the two guys earlier are, are the pastors. One of them is, is, is home right now because he hurt his arm and the other one is uh, here. But he was excited. He said um, that they were putting the stairs in today and uh, this, this week. And so I told him to send me some pictures when the stairs got done. But they're, this is their rainy season right now, so they can only work some. So this is where the stairs are going to go and all this. And, and uh, then they're going to put the top floor. And as soon as they finish the stairs, they're going to put the top floor And I mean, not top floor, the, the roof, which will be a top floor later for some things we got planned. But, but this is it. They're pretty excited. They're, they're about to finish the building, and then they'll be able to work on the inside and uh, move into it. So one of the things that we're going to try to do, so, so our two pastors, uh, Santosh is married, and his wife is pregnant. this is their first child, and, and so she's struggling with like morning sickness and stuff. but um i I didn't mean to smile when I said that, but <clears throat> but uh, and then the other one, he's going to be getting married here pretty soon, and then're they're, they're both going to move into this is a duplex that that we've got here. I think we've got one more picture um, coming up maybe a couple more, wasn't there some? There's more pictures. How'd that get in there? <laughs> Is that my granddaughter? I did not know that was in there. So um <laughs> so she she almost blew it back there. That's... But uh so so here's what we're doing. It's, um so earlier there's some cultural things going on his Wife is actually living with his mother right now because of the the, the situation that we have him living in is just like a room in the bottom of, of, of some people's home. Him and this other guy, and so she's not there. But as soon as we get the duplex finished, they'll be able to come down. And she's she's actually excited. For before she didn't necessarily want to, um, but we've really been praying about that and some different things that have happened. She's excited about coming. He's excited about her being there. Uh, that this, this is going to happen as soon as we get the duplex finished. So so this is something Dr. Matthews was. Uh, he and I have been talking about the last couple weeks, and, and Jerry, I think it may have even been Jerry's idea, I can't remember, but, but here's what we're going to do. We're, we're looking at going over there at the end of October. When we go, and, and we're going to see the building finished, and I've never met the two guys, Jerry and Nerve. both met, met them. Um, so I'm going to go over there, I get to meet them face-to-face, I mean, I Skype with them every Tuesday morning, we talk about stuff. But be able to go over there and actually get to meet them and, and see the finished building and and walk around in the building. And the top floor is going to be the the church and the, the top level is going to be the church, all these other things. And so uh, we're excited about that. And, and Nurse said, why don't when we get over there, they're going to be, they're basically both fairly newlyweds and, you know, a brand new baby and, and all this stuff. Why don't we go shopping for them? They're not going to have stuff for the house. Why don't we go uh, shopping for them? And then he said, why don't we let... Church of Briargate be a part of this. So here's what we think. Then this may change a little bit in the next few months. I mean, here's what we're thinking is if you want to give us stuff to take with us. I mean, think about we're going to be taking suitcases. We don't mind taking an extra couple, but this isn't. Like we're going to buy the motorcycle when we get there. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. But like sheets and blankets or, or things to, to put in the house. Or, I mean, I don't know. Whatever you want to do, something like that. And we'll try to take that stuff over there. But the other side is if you want to contribute financially, when we get over there, we're going to go take them shopping and uh, buy some house furnishings, maybe even some furniture, depending on uh, how much money we have to accomplish this. So if you're interested in any of that, talk to us. But, but make sure that we understand that it's not just going to India, to Ramper Hut, but it's going specifically to this, so we can kind of um, section it off just for house furnishings and maybe some appliances. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not anticipating that they have hardly anything. I, I know that the, that the guy that's there right now doesn't. Um, they're just living in a room, and so so it, it would be fun. We're we're kind of looking forward to that. Just take them out and take them shopping, and just what do you need, you know, kind of thing. How cool would that? So the more money we have, the more we have the freedom to do that, um, and and get them whatever. I doubt they even have a bed. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know. So so just be thinking about that. If you want to contribute to that, make sure we know that's what you're contributing to. Okay. Turning to First Samuel chapter 15, and I. Wanted to uh, mention this before I move on, just to uh, embarrass him a little bit. But uh, we have some uh, our previous youth pastors from years ago. This is when I, when Lynn and I first became lead pastors, uh, we hired Darren and Janet to be our youth pastors. And now Darren's way older; now. he's like 15, 20 years older now. But uh, we hired them to be youth pastors with us, and uh, it was a huge deal for us. We had known, we'd known Darren actually quite a few years, and then we got to know Janet, and then they get married, um, and then a few years later, they come to be our youth pastors, and that was a really big deal for us, because we, is our first lead pastor, I'm 26 years old, I don't have a clue what I'm doing and all these kind of things, and to have somebody that, that knew ministry, that knew some of the things, knew my heartbeat, he had he had seen me when I was a youth pastor, and to have him alongside of us, it was it was really, it was a huge big deal for us, and so they were driving through Colorado, and they thought, I think Scott still owes me 20 bucks, so we're going to go by and see them in the process, but it's nice to have them with us uh, this morning. This was a long time ago, this was 20-something, 20, more than 20 years ago, they were youth pastors with us, so... So, First Samuel chapter fifteen. I'm gonna, <clears throat> I'm gonna speak about something here that I wanna, I, I wanna, I wanna get up in your world a little bit with this and kind of mess with you a little bit. Okay, so here's, here's, um, here's kind of the, the the thinking process. Okay, go with me. This was quite a few years ago. I was a youth pastor at the time, and my pastor was preaching on on the the, the scripture Matthew, where it talks about the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds is the is the is the terminology here. Okay. And he's talking about wheat and all the aspects of wheat and the weeds and all these different things. And I'm sitting there listening to this and and um, absorbing it. The guy was an amazing um, pastor, amazing minister. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm taking notes and all this stuff. And what I was doing is kind of more subconscious. I wasn't like actively trying to demarcate this, but in my mind, I'm thinking, um, I, I'm, I'm making an assumption that I'm wheat and that, that uh the others are weeds. And while he's saying this, I'm kind of mentally uh, thinking back to people. I always sat on the front row, and I'm thinking back to people throughout the building that I think, when he would say, you know, a weed looks like this, or this is what a weed does, or this is, you know, and I would think, yeah, that's. I think that's, you know, so-and-so is kind of like that, you know. And, I, and I'm And I'm kind of passively just thinking around the building of the different weeds that are sitting in the building, okay? Then my pastor says, uh, one of the things that happens in Wheat and Weeds is if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking to yourself, I am wheat, and these are the people in the room that are weeds, he said, you're wrong, your spirit's wrong, and you might be a, a weed, and it, con- it convicted me, horribly convicted me, and, and, I, and I, I took that over quite a few weeks after that and really began to pray about that, and it, and it set a precedence in my life. Of, of me really trying to d- d- take a, f- a couple basic steps. I still do this today. This is, this is the norm for me, is when I look at scripture or I read a book or I'm doing something or I'm trying to listen to God or something, I always assume that he is trying to get in my head, my spirit, and convict me first. See, as a pastor, it's normal for me to think about everybody else while I'm even like, just reading the Bible. It, 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 it gets, it's like a chef not thinking about cooking this later right? It's just normal for me. It's natural. But, I, but I, have, I have set a precedence in my mind and my spirit and kind of a relationship agreement with me. And God, God, what are you trying to say to me first? In fact, I try to remind our, our pastors and our leadership around here regularly about this. Be careful when you start saying they, them, because that's, that's a bad place. To, it's a bad precedence. It needs to be me, us, at the very least us. Uh, but starts with me. And so so in, in processing this, I want to push some things into your world. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but to push this into your world, and I, I want you to, to take this, as I'm saying this, and say, God, what are you saying to me about me with this? And then one more step to it is, God, I assume that you are saying this to me. Not, this is for somebody else kind of thing. So when I say the statement, God loves you. How do you, what do you think? Ask yourself that. What do you think? Uh, in, in your spirit, what do you feel? Is it, is it something, when I, when I say something like, Jesus died on the cross for you because he loves you, how, what, what does that mean to you? How do you process that? What do you think about it? There are times in my life when if you say to me, God really loves you, man, it just breaks me, and I'm, you know, weeping. And, all that. and then there are times you say, God really loves you. I'm like, okay, thanks. And, you know, I just kind of go on. So, so, where are you with this? How, how, much do you, how much do you really chase after the lord that's been a, a constant theme lately. Um, part of our, our um, mission statement is this pursuing God. The simplification of our mission statement is this pursuing God. How, how much do I really chase after the Lord? How much do I pursue him? all right Now, with that, first Samuel chapter 15, we're going to kind of um, un, unpack this story a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of background. So, so Saul has been Saul's king. And um, God comes to to Saul and says, I want you to attack the Amalekites, Amalekites, and uh, I want you to completely destroy them, destroy everything, Uh, destroy them, all the animals, leave nothing alive, zero, nothing alive. And then Saul goes into battle, and he doesn't do that, all right? So this is where we pick up on this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. That's a strong statement, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my commands. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. And we'll see as this unfolds. That's a pretty important statement, I think, because it appears to me that Samuel is more concerned with Saul's relationship with God than Saul is. Saul's not moved by this thing through the whole thing. We don't ever see Saul get... Listen to this statement again. We never see Saul get to the point where it says that he cried out to the Lord all night. In fact, here's just a little interesting study because I'm going I'm to kind of balance this off of David a little bit. But it's interesting how if you read through the entire history of Saul, you don't really see that mentality. You don't see this pleading, crying out to God in brokenness and repentance in Saul's life. Okay? Saul, Saul was a very insecure guy. He was a very insecure uh, person when he became king. He didn't want to become king. And he was hiding from Samuel, when Samuel tried to find him to anoint him king, and we see how that actually plays into this story too. You'll see it in a minute. So, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him. Saul went down to the town of Carmel and set up a monument to himself. Did he now? Then he went on to Gilgal. When Saul, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. That's important because I believe that's that um, the Holy Spirit is showing us attitude, mentality, mindset behind this. When He says that He, he um, that He greets him cheerfully, I don't think Saul was feeling guilty. I don't think Saul thought he had done anything. You're going to see this through the story. And depending on which commentaries you read or how different theologians approach this, uh, I, have, I have a little different look at this than, than kind of the mindset out there. The mindset out there is that Saul was very selfish. Saul was self-focused and that he did this as a selfish act, that he didn't obey God because of selfishness. I, and I don't necessarily think that's the purest way to approach this. I think it's included. But I don't think Saul thought he was doing anything wrong here. In fact, I think it was the other way around. I think Saul actually thought he was doing the right thing. I think Saul thought he was doing best. He had thought it through, and he thought this is the best way to handle this. Okay, now what, what is what he handled here? All right. So he said, and he greets him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. He's not lying. He doesn't think he, he's done anything wrong here. He thinks he has carried out the Lord's command, but we know that he hasn't. All right, he says. Then what is the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear, said Samuel. Remember God said, kill everything, eradicate everything, which, was, which also leads for us to see this more of a sin issue today where God says to us, get sin out of your life. Get, get it completely out of your life. This is a danger that we have in kind of our American church thinking today is that we say, okay, I want to get rid of sin mostly. Not all sin, but most sin. I, I, I heard this said one time that this guy, this guy had become a Christian, and he was dating a Christian at the time. She was already a Christian, and she wanted him to become a Christian. And so finally, he gets saved, and she breaks up with him. And he, I, I heard him say years later that uh, the problem is that she wanted him to get saved, but not totally saved, not all the way saved. just kind of like mostly saved. She still wanted certain things to be, you know, living on the edge and doing some things. When... when when, we're, when we get rid of sin, God tells us get rid of it completely. Eradicate it from your life. The reason is it will affect you. Even little tiny seeds of sin, they will affect your life. They will get in your soul. They will get in your spirit. They will change things. They will change your mindset. They will change relationships. Satan is using everything he can to destroy you. And if you're giving him material like sin, he's, he's got man, uh, power over you. He's got manipulative abilities over your life. And so th- we can even see... Even at this time, God is saying, completely destroy all this. These people were idol worshippers, and he said, destroy everything, everything, but he didn't kill the animals. We're going to see a little bit more of that. But so Samuel says, You didn't do what God said. He says, I did everything God said. Look, he says, then what's the sound of animals? Is it true that the army spared the best of the sh- it's true? I'm sorry, this is Saul saying, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Now, again, I don't think at this point Saul has even thought he's done something wrong. He's like, Samuel, no, you don't get it. Let me explain what happened. I kept all the best animals for sacrificing. Now, unless you dig a little deeper here, you may miss something. Why would Saul assume that he's supposed to be sacrificing? It's not his job. That's Samuel's job. Samuel's going to be doing that. Samuel's got the plans for all of that kind of stuff. In fact, that's why Samuel's here, is to sacrifice. And, and Saul is going, wait, I got it all figured out for you. So so what I believe is going on here, I don't think that, that Saul was intentionally trying to override God's plans or whatever, but I think it had got to the point where Saul had seen, and remember he started out as an insecure leader, didn't want to be king, all this kind of stuff. Now, he's king that has gotten to the point where his self-importance, his self-aggrandizement has really become huge, but it's been because of him and his power and his authority. It's not been because God has pulled him to that place, okay? Okay. it's, they're, they're, different ones of us can struggle with different insecurities. In fact, I think everybody's got insecurities at some level, different things. But insecurities are not totally bad within themselves as long as they keep you focusing on God, okay? They're, they, they're, they can be debilitating. All insecurities can hinder you. But if they're keeping you focused on God and helping you realize, you know what, God's the one who needs to do this. And as you grow out of those insecurities, it's because you're growing into confidence in God, not confidence in self. Those are two different things. I've seen people that really struggle with insecurities and they, and they go through the self-help stuff and people are always telling them, no, you're great, you're awesome. And then pretty soon they go from insecurity to narcissistic arrogance. That's not healthy. Well, this is, this is what Saul's doing. Saul had gotten to this place where I believe what's happened is is he is no longer respecting God at the God level that he is, and he's taking God casually. And he's even relegated Samuel to a completely different priority level that's not as important in his world as he had been earlier in this. And so he says to Samuel, Samuel, I've got the plan for you. It's not Saul's job to have the plan for Samuel. Samuel's working for God. Samuel's going to do what God says. But Saul has now got to a point of thinking where he's almost like equal with God now. I got the plan. God told him, go in, kill every one of the people, destroy all the animals, do everything I tell you. And, God, and Samuel, Saul says, well, I got a better plan. We need to do this church stuff. We need to do the sacrifice. We need to do the, the, the spiritual stuff, the religious stuff. And so he comes up with a spiritual plan that he puts as the equality of what God said to him. Saul, I want you to do this. Saul comes up with a plan and says, I'll do this instead. He's no longer respecting God. He's no longer taking God seriously. And he's not respecting Samuel at all. In fact, we see later where he actually, there's a time where he actually sacrifices animals because he doesn't want to wait on Samuel to show up. Now he's literally taking Samuel's job. And we see this is the beginning of this, where, where Samuel, he, he, is, he is slowly relegating Samuel to no longer important. Although in the hierarchical system of what God has designed in this theocracy, it's God, the prophet, and then the king. And he, and he circumvents that, kind of pushes Samuel off to the side and said, Samuel, came up with my own plan. Now, again, I don't think he's doing this out of pure, I'm going to attack God or be rebellious against God. I think what he's done is he's allowed self to become so important that he thinks he actually can make the rules and do the things that he wants the way he wants. He can create his own spiritual paradigm. And he can live by it and other people need to live by it because he's come up with this. There's a, there's a couple problems, let's, let's go, well there's a lot of problems, but let's go through this a little bit. So <clears throat> then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night, what did he tell you? Remember what he said is, I, I'm, I'm upset, I regret even making you king. I regret making you king. So he explains all this to him, and he says, although you may think little of yourself, that's insecurity, that's not humbleness. Are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. In other words, Saul, God made this decision. Your insecurity fuels a lot of this stuff, but God's the one who's done this. God's the one who calls you, creates you, anoints you, puts you in this position, does all this stuff. This is not about you, Saul, and just because you're becoming more confident in yourself doesn't mean you get to change the rules. doesn't mean you get to decide how this should go, what should be happening here. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Now listen to this, verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. He still thinks, and I, I mean, I've read all the commentaries that said he was walking in rebellion. He knew he was trying to lie to God. No, he, I really think he's thinking the truth of this. I did obey God. I did do this. We, it, this, is, this is, to me, this sounds like a five-year-old. Right? Have you ever had... A conversation with a five-year-old that is convinced they're right. No matter what, they're right. Um, my, My second two children weren't as bad about this. My oldest one, once he got it in his head that this is the way it was supposed to be, that was it. He still liked that, by the way. But, I mean, that's it. And I would sit and have these conversations. with Jonathan, I told you this, but I did do it. No, you didn't. I said do this, and you did this, but I did do it. And, you know, tears and crying. I did do it. And I'm like, no, you didn't. And then like 20 minutes later, I realized, you know, at that time I was 30, and I'm arguing with him. I'm arguing with a five. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You know, and I'm like, who's, who's the idiot here? <laughs> I threw that out for all you parents to do that. Who's the idiot here? Okay, so, this is, this is the thing. Saul is still not getting this. Samuel says, God said to me last night that, he is dis- that it discourages him that he even made you king. He wish he would have never even made you king. You are disobeying him. And Saul's answer is to argue. No, I didn't. I, I am obeying God. I did exactly what he asked. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag. What? Problem number two. Did he tell you to bring back King Gang? No. He told you to kill everybody, kill all the animals. So now he's not only brought back the animals, he's also left the king alive. Now, why does he do this? You want to go down the road of selfish. This is where there's two basic things that he does that, that show some selfishness. But again, I don't think the found I don't think it's the foundation. I'll get to that in a second. But the reason he brings back the king is because in these days, this was a trophy. They would cut the big toes and the thumbs of the kings off. And then they would, that would be their trophy. When you saw a king with four or five other kings falling with no thumbs, that means he had conquered all these guys. This was a, this was a look at me kind of thing. I'm the, I'm the big bad king. And so now we also add that to it. He says, I, I, I've got King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Everyone, not everything, everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And I don't think it's coincidence that he says to Samuel the Lord, your God, not the Lord my God. See, See, here's something. If we go back up to the top of this, he says, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and he refused to obey my commands. Guys, this is the key to this whole thing. We always focus on the disobedience to the command mentality. But when God says to Samuel, I'm disappointed that I ever made Saul king, he gives his priority system. And the first thing he says is because Saul is not loyal to me. His disobedience to God flows out of his lack of loyalty, his lack of commitment his lack of his heart being set upon God. He's no longer loving God, serving God, fearing God. He has now become too self-important to think like that. He's pushed God off to the side, and now it's about him. And see, God's heartbeat is more about the loyalty mentality. Think about this. Saul's not actually doing... Bad things, he's not out there committing adultery and murder and all this other stuff. He's actually wanting to see animals sacrificed to God. He's doing all the spiritual stuff. He's doing all the church things. He's going by all the rules. He's doing all the stuff that he's supposed to do. And God says, I regret ever making you king. And then we got David that commits adultery, commits murder, all this other stuff. And God never says, I regret making you king. Never says that. Because the difference between Saul and David is David was loyal to God. He was boneheaded sometimes, and he was sin-focused sometimes. But the Bible says many times over that his heart was always fashioned after God. That he loved God. He did stupid things. He did sinful things, but he loved God. Now, there can be some debate, how much are love loving God when you're disobeying? I get that. But you see the two total different mindsets between Saul and David. Saul did all the church stuff right. These animals, are, I believe he really intended them to be sacrificed. I don't think he kept them to, to use them himself. He, he intended them to be sacrificed. He's doing all the spiritual stuff. He's going by all the rules. He's, he's living the right lifestyle. And from an outward perspective, it would appear that Saul is the better of the two guys. Saul is the good guy. Saul is the spiritual guy. Saul is the guy that's doing all the things that he's supposed to. David is this loose cannon. Just crazy guy. Killing people, committing adultery, all this other kind of stuff. But we see where God says David was a man of his heart, but he never says that about Saul. In fact, he says, I wish I'd have never made you king. Now, here's, here's where I want to go with this a little bit. Is, is I believe that for us, we can do the exact same thing. I know the church in general, but I want to drill down for us just a little bit. I really believe that we can go through all of the stuff that we're supposed to go through as Christians, do all the things, live the right lifestyles and everything, but not really be pursuing God. I, this, let, me, let me use myself for example. I've done, this, I've done this at different times over the years. There are times when I've got up to speak, to preach, teach do something else and I'm doing it from myself. Not bad, it's not bad theology. it's good theology. Um, it's Bible, it's Jesus. it's the right things. there's not I'm not misleading people any of that kind of stuff, but I didn't really interact with God about it. I didn't pursue him on it. I didn't ask for his presence. I didn't ask for his direction. I just I, I'm a decent communicator been doing this. I know many of you think probably the best you've ever heard, but I'm a decent communicator. I've been doing this a long time. I can get up and do a Bible study instantaneously, you know, instant in-season, out-of-season kind of thing, and and not necessarily have to prepare. I've been doing this too long. I know the Bible pretty good. It's my book. I can do this. And I know the difference in the two. I know the difference in in preparing and really seeking God for something and not. I've done the same thing with music, with worship over the years, where I, I enjoy leading worship there 's been times when i 've got up because i 'm a decent musician again, you probably think i 'm the best you 've ever heard, but decent musician, I get up, I can lead worship and and the spur of a moment kind of thing and and and', I'm, and it's true worship it 's the right stuff. the Holy Spirit is doing things in people 's lives, but I know me personally, I have not sought God, and it can just be out of the motions It can just be because i 've done this forever this, I, I know. The difference in the two things. I know the difference in pursuing God and just doing the church thing. I've done both over the years. And and not because I'm a bad guy. It's not like I sit out and, th- you know, this week and say, you know what, I'm not going to pray this week. I am totally going to wing it. I am not, I, that's not what I'm talking about. It's just life and minutiae of life, all i stuff. And pretty soon you realize, oh, it's Sunday. I prepared the sermon. I, I have a list of stuff that I'm going to be speaking for months. So it's not like, Saturday night, I'm like, what am I going to preach? I've got stuff on the calendar for six months from now, okay? Well, what happens if you're not careful? Well, then when you get to the six months from now, you just preach that, and you don't necessarily have to talk to God about it. Even though in setting on the calendar, I was doing that. God, what do you want to do? I know the difference in the two. Why am I saying this? I really believe that this is a church issue that all Christians have to deal with, specifically in America, but I think we struggle with this a little here at Church of Briargate. We've been doing church for so long. Some of, you, some of you are brand new. Some of you are newer Christians. You're new to this. But some of you have been doing this for so long that you know how to do Christianity without Jesus. That you know how to do Christianity without pursuing him, without being loyal to him and passionate for him. You can go through the sacrifices. You can go through the church stuff. You can check the list, went to church, gave in the offering, shake somebody's hand. Gave a, a card to the pastor. I mean, you can go through the stuff that God's supposed to want us all to do here this morning, and not have Jesus involved in this whole thing. You understand what I'm saying, guys? And we can get good at this. We can get good. I, I, I asked this a little bit last week. I've been talking about this the last few months, but I asked last week. When's the last time that the Lord so moved on your spirit that you were brought to tears? You were broken. That you are moved deeply in your spirit. When's the last time that you just prayed in the spirit so long and you didn't want to get up from that? You didn't want to stop. You didn't Not, okay, I've prayed five minutes, I'm done. I'm saying you needed to go to work and you're still praying and you don't want to get up and go to work, not because of work, but because of the Lord. And Lord, I need you to be close to me. I need you to be close to me. Guys, I believe we can do Christianity so well, not being bad people. I'm not necessarily saying this is a salvation issue. Saying we can do Christianity so well that we're not pursuing Him. We're not hungry for Him. We don't desire to be close. and be. I, I was thinking about the imagery of Jesus staying in the room and He breathes on the disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this because I was laying in bed this last week and, and I'm wide awake and Linda's sound asleep, which is the norm in our household. And I could feel her breathing on the back of my neck. And you know, the first time it happens, you're like, you know, that kind of thing. Get off of me, that kind of thing. And then I just, I laid there and she's breathing on the back of my neck. And I thought, what would it be to feel the breath of the Holy Spirit? Or for Jesus to step into the room and breathe into our life and say, Receive the Spirit. And to feel, to feel the breath of Jesus breathe into us. Or to. To, to just sense His presence coming into our existence. Guys, you, you, we should be experiencing this regularly. If I'm saying this and you're like, I don't know if I've ever experienced it. we got to chase after this. You should be able to feel God's presence get strong in you. You should be able to feel His love consume your spirit. You should be able to feel His spirit in your mind and in your spirit. You should feel. Not just know, but feel too. So do, are we pursuing the Lord or are we just kind of going through the, the motions, the church stuff, the, the, the Christian stuff that we're supposed to be doing? I, I, I put a couple things down here just to kind of put it in my head. The first thing is that, that Saul did not love or fear the Lord. He'd gotten a place. You, you understand in, in Revelation, that's what Jesus says to, the, to one of the seven churches. He says, you're doing all the church stuff. You're doing all the things the way you're supposed to. But you don't love me anymore. You've fallen out of love with me. What's the point if it's not about loving him? What's the point? Coming and listening to me is is benign if it's not about loving Jesus. It makes no sense. Don't amen that. (laughs) Like, that is benign. Hey, hi. No, I get what you're saying. (laughs) Guys, here's the second part is Saul was doing the spiritual thing. Guys, this is where it should convict us. Saul was doing the spiritual thing, and he was doing it well. But here's a little thing to throw out: the rules were that you take the first, um, the, the best, the firstborn. The, you set apart the best for the sacrifices, right? And that what he did? Think about it. Is that what he did? Did he take his best? Instead of it aside for the sacrifices? No. He took the Amalekites' best. It wasn't his best. It was their best. It wasn't his at all. And he's saying, God, I want to sacrifice. What is the point of the sacrifice? It's not just the sacrifice of the animal. It's the sacrifice of you. That you're taking your very best and saying, God, I give this to you as a sacrifice to you. This came from everything that I am. It came the very best. Of what I am and what I have, I give to you. He didn't take anything of his own. He took it from the Amalekites, and it was their best. He didn't, this wasn't a heart toward God. This was, this was rote. This was academic. This was, this was the rules. Dr. Ben Carson, so many of you may know, he ran for president. Great man. A great man. He said that bureaucrats are more interested in going by the rules than what the goal is. Now, here's something that's politically. What do we say that about Christians? Christians that are more concerned about going by the rules than than the heart of it, the goal of it. We can have a bureaucratic mentality of Christianity. Let's go to the rules, let's do the stuff. God is saying, I want you, I want your heart. it's not just the obedience. Obedience should flow out of our heart. The reason that you do things is because of your heart's attitude toward it. The reason that you worship is because God's amazing and you love Him, not because we're singing songs, not because this is the worship time. Back in the day, we called it the song service. I hated that term. It's song service. Is it about the songs? Is it a service about songs? At least now we call it worship, but are we worshiping? Is that what we're doing? Are we really coming into the presence of God because of Him, because of His amazingness? And we just got some great songwriters and music people that can go, oh, this is a good way to say this. And you're like, wow, that's better than the way I would have said it. I'll sing that. But it's your heart. It's your heart that's doing this. The same concept of, of how we treat people, what we do. Does this flow out of relationship? Does it flow out of a passion? Does it, does it flow out of commitment? I think about with Linda and I, like if I were to do dishes, I don't do dishes. Do I do them because I'm trying to be a good husband or because I love my wife? This is, this is something that actually happened in our life. You're going to see a little bit of a pattern here. A few years back, I was saying something to Linda about when she vacuums, the lines aren't straight. It's like she just stood in the middle of the room and just went like this. Who vacuums like that? When you leave the room, shouldn't you be able to tell that you've been there? And they're all—that's the last time she ever vacuumed. She said, "Okay, then you can do it." Now, do I do that because I'm? We are getting some amens at the wrong time this morning, guys. Let's be submitted to the Holy Spirit, not yourself. So, so do I vacuum because? She makes me a little bit. <laughs> no, because I love her and because she's doing all this other stuff. And I'm like, I can vacuum. Plus, guess what? When I'm done, straight lines. <laughs> there's a little bit There's a little bit of the straight lines there. When I, I was thinking about this, yeah, I finished vacuuming. I was like, she can't do that. You know, and I d- <clears throat> But why, do, why do, we do, the, do we do this stuff? Because, well, I want to be a good person. Think about this even at work. You got to be careful with this. Even at work, do you do that because you want to be a good worker or because God's created you to do something and because you're submitted to him and because you want to serve people and all these other things? I know that this is challenging sometimes in the routine of life. With, I'm saying at work, in relationships, with, but it should not be challenging in our relationship with God. It should be a consistent thing. God, I want you. I want to pursue you. I want to go after you. In Romans <clears throat> chapter 8, Verse 35, and I, and I know as I say this, and this is, let me, let me throw this out. This is something that's important. As I say this, it can, this is a very borderline kind of thing that can easily be condemnation. I mean, I'm basically saying you need to love God. How do you say that? How do you do You can't make somebody do that. You can't make somebody love. So there's almost a borderline condemnation thing. What I'm trying to do is highlight some things that will motivate us and get in our heads and mess with us a little bit and say, wait a second. Am I caught up in doing Christian stuff? Am I caught up in doing church stuff? Or do I really love the Lord? And there may be some balance where you say, yeah, I think I do over here. I really love God. But man, I'm just caught up in the system here. Just caught up doing stuff. Let the Holy Spirit get in and convict you with this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I get the scripture. It, it moves me. It, it, um, it, it breaks my spirit and my heart sometimes when I think about how much God loves me. But here's the question I want to ask. Is not what can separate us from God's love, but what can separate God from our love? What about this list? Go through the list. Troubles, calamities, problems. Have you ever got so mad, so frustrated at God over something? I have many times. It it's, it sounds all like you're a pastor, you shouldn't. I'm a human. To some reason, you can get mad at God sometimes, and you can't be a Christian very long at all before you don't. You you'll come to those places. God, why? What about this? God, what's going to do? You, have you forsaken me? All these different things. Same things. All, all many of the writers in Scripture say. Why does this happen? I, I remember one time in particular. This was years ago. It was about the time. Well, in fact, um, Darren and Janet were our youth pastors. Janet was there when Emily was born. She was in the hospital, standing there. She's old. So, <laughs> as we are. So, uh, so we're, we're. I'm. It's that time where we're, we're pastoring this church, small church, very poor, don't have any money, all this kind of stuff. And I had this little Jeep pickup and had air conditioning. I didn't have air conditioning anywhere in my world, but I had air conditioning in that truck. And um, I was changing my alternator, and and the wrench slipped, and I hit my air conditioner uh, tube, snapped it. There goes my coolness, my Freon. I was so mad. I was mad at God, I was mad at the wrench, I was mad at Jeep. I was mad at all these things, and I got so mad, and I, t- I turn around and I'm screaming, "Y'all, take this wrench!" and I start beating this tree, but it was a big tree, and it's still healthy to dad. And hurt it, and go green. Don't use straws. So I, I'm beating this tree with this wrench, and, and Linda looks out the door, and she's—I don't know how long she had stood there. And I'm mad. And I'm, why? Why? I mean, to me, this was like a major meltdown because a lot of things were not going right in my life at that time. Some things, I was struggling through a bunch of stuff. We were very poor, all this stuff. And then my air conditioning, the only place I had air conditioning, the only place I had air conditioning. And she looks out the door and she gives me one of those, hey, pastor, you okay out there, pastor? I hate it when she does that. It is not the Lord's will for her life. I mean, it, I was so upset and so angry, and I'm sitting there thinking and realizing I am so mad at God. I mean, I'm saying, thank God, why do you forsake me? Why have you brought me to this place to leave me abandoned? And then I dawned on me, I am saying this about air conditioning. According to my theology at that point, for, for 5,500 years, God forsook everybody. Right? It's only the last hundred years that he's cared about humans and given us air conditioning. Not even that long. Guys, it's, it's it, go back over this list. Which ones of those things will make you push God away? Not what push, God's not going to push you away under any circumstances. But it's amazing how easy we can push him away. Say, God, I I, I can't serve you. I don't love you. I can't go down that road. And I've had this conversation with people to the point that have literally made a conscious decision. I don't love God anymore and I don't want to serve him. And they can blame it on people. They can blame it on the church. They can blame it on the system. They can blame it on God. They can blame it on circumstances. But at the end of the day, they made a decision. This is what separates me from God or God from me. This is the moment. This is is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the bridge too far. And I'm done. Somewhere our relationship with him has to just be that. Lord, you love me beyond what I can imagine. You love me so much. So let me respond by loving you back. Not because, not for, but just you. I just want to love you. You're God and I want to love you. I serve you because you're God. You're the king and I submit to you. And that's it. I just love you with everything about me. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to be praying this week. and We're going to to pray about this right now, but I'm going to be praying this week. That, um, <clears throat> that that the gods are going to get in your head, and and uh, um, how do I verbalize this? He's going to do things. Uh, put put moments in your life this week that will remind you of this. That he will do things in your in your head and in your heart that will remind you of this. I'm going to be praying that God will, you'll, you'll come around a corner and all of a sudden a moment happens, a person, a stand, there a circumstance and God reminds you, I love you. Do you love me? Just love me. Just love me. I, I love you. Do you love me? And I'm going to be praying that. You say, don't pray that. You, you're my boss. I'm going to pray it anyway. My desire, my goal is that you pray the same thing. God, help me to see Help me to see you. Let's pray. God, we, we come before you. Lord, you are amazing. You're so big. You're so powerful. You're so full of grace and forgiving. God, even regardless of how we treat you, you are so full of grace. You're so amazing. Lord, I want to return that. I want to return that love, the love that you have for me, for every one of us in this room. Lord I, I want to return that we want to return that love to you as best as we can in our limitedness in our in our frailty of humanity and our sinfulness Lord we still want to return that love to you God I pray I pray that every one of us in here we won't just get caught up doing the Christian thing that we won't just get caught up in this this, this is the rules Lord, that will fall for you completely. That our heart, our minds, our lives will be about you. That just love you, just love you, just love you. And God, I pray that as a body, I, I think we need this. But I think I think we're caught up too much in, in going through the routine, going doing the church thing. God, I want to be broken during worship. I want I want my heart melted during my times of talking to you throughout the week. I want my spirit pulled close to you. I want to feel your breath. I want to feel your breath on my spirit. I want to feel your love wrap around me. Lord, and I want to love you back with everything that I am. God, I I pray anything that would distract us or push us away from this, God, that we would resist it, we would reject it, and we would chase after you. Lord, help us to be a church that pursues you. In Jesus' name, we want to pursue you. So God, I pray this week, do stuff. God, I I think you've already got plans. But do stuff this week. God, get in our heads, get in our world, surprise us. Lord, show us how much you love us. And then God, just pull us in close to you so we can love you back. God, while the the teenagers are still in Mexico, give them them wonderful moments of of God breathing into their life. Lord, even as they're driving back and flying back, doing all this stuff, God, we ask you to, to bless them with your spirit. That even as they reflect on the trip, they think about you. God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you. Your grace, we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So throughout this week, look for those moments. Talk to God. Pause. It's not gonna, it's, it's not gonna destroy your world to pause right in the middle of work and say, God, thank you for loving me. Whisper it under your breath. Nobody will know. Maybe even, I know this is crazy, say it out loud probably already think you're crazy so before noon tomorrow god's going to give you an opportunity to tell somebody how much he loves them tell somebody how much jesus loves them they, just assume that they want to hear that and uh and i, I really think god will honor it in your life i really think that he will so shake somebody's hand hug their neck tell them how good looking that they are even if you got to make it up and we will see you wednesday night have a great rest of your day